week and I was like oh man there's things I meant to say and you know I try to do this without notes or anything because I, I just like it that way um, plus I like to wander a lot and I get lost otherwise I try to shuffle papers and I drop them and things uh, but there's a couple things that I didn't mention that I wanted to one of them was that um, you know I, I wanted to mention to you archaeology actually uh, supports the Bible. We were talking last week about the Bible and how do we know that the Bible is legitimate and how do we know that we can, you know, trust it. And one of the great things, and I'd love to do a whole segment on this sometime, is just digging into all the different archaeological confirmations of the Bible. Um, But a couple things that I just thought I'd mention to you really quick that are just great confidence builders. There are a few things that are in the Bible and for the longest time, uh, the world didn't believe, you know, the, the... world outside Christianity did not believe that those things were true. Because like David, for example, King David, David is a major figure in the, in the Bible, but he, for a long time, there was absolutely no archaeological evidence that David ever actually existed. Um, there was nothing to confirm his existence. And so some people thought, well, you know, this David guy is kind of almost mythological in his status. I mean, he took down a giant as a young boy, and then uh, he became king of this great kingdom and built built the kingdom of Israel. That does seem kind of far-fetched. And so a lot of people dismissed him. And then, I think it was the 1960s or something like that, they dug up a rock that actually had an inscription that bore David's name. So it's convenient that the Bible knew something that there was no other source for. And that's not the only case of something where the Bible was the only source for for a piece of information. Uh, The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time were thought to just be an allegory, a story, you know, almost like the Battle of Troy, like the idea that a bunch of soldiers got in a giant wooden horse and went in, that seems pretty unlikely. Um, And so it's like, well, it's probably unlikely that some city got destroyed by, like, what, asteroids or something? Like, it rained fire on it. Um, But they did find, eventually, they dug up the ruins of that city, and they found not only that there was a city there that had been destroyed, but they found evidence in the walls of the city that there were, like, brimstone buried in the wall, you know, it was like almost as though it had fire rained on it, which that's no surprise. That's exactly what we would expect because that's what the Bible tells us. And so there's, there's lots of cool stuff like that that, the, that is confirmed by archaeology. So we have that confirmation. Another thing that's really cool is that Hebrew scripture is the oldest consistent religious doctrine on earth. Now, Hindus will claim that their faith is older, but in terms of actual manuscript evidence, like what do we have a physical copy of, there's just nothing older than the Hebrew Bible and nothing nearly so reliable as the Hebrew Bible. And so there's just so many things in it that confirm it, and some of that stuff we'll get into tonight. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that stuff. Dirk, you should see I got that, that book that was sitting there when you got there. That was your copy with all the answers in. So Dirk wants to cheat and have the book with all the answers. No, I'm just kidding. He wanted that for his parents. Yes. Do I want the, I, I'm good, I can hear me, thank you. Okay, but I am ready to go, if you want to put my presentation up. We'll get started tonight. Um, we're going to do science in the Bible. I really think as far as I'm going to get is uh, how did the universe begin? I don't think I'll be able to get any further than that. It's a pretty deep topic, so uh, we'll just go right for it. Um, first thing is, you know, it's tempting to just evade this question. Um, do we, can, can I have my cake and eat it too? Can I believe in the Big Bang or the naturalistic explanation for uh, the universe and then also believe in the Bible? There are a lot of people who do. 
And I don't think that's a bar to anybody's salvation. Um, and I was just listening to a podcast this weekend, just still kind of brushing up on stuff. And uh, the guy was talking about that. He's like, you know, usually when I give talks, he's like, I don't even breach the subject because half the room will be very passionate one way about it and half the room will be very passionate the other way about it. And honestly, it probably doesn't matter enough to, to start a fight over, you know. But I think we can have confidence in the Bible. I think we can have confidence that, the, that God's word is true. And I also, there's just some sticking points that it's like, ah, you, it's just hard to believe in a billions of years old universe and also think that the words of the Bible are true. And, and there's some things in here, you know, uh, in the Bible, it, it says that earth existed before the sun existed because the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters of earth before he ever spoke, let there be light, you know, and then the sun wasn't even created for another couple of days. He created the concept of light. He created light before he created heavenly bodies. So it, we know that, that the earth had to predate the sun, but of course the evolutionary theory goes the other way. Um, we know the sea was here before land and, and evolution has it the other way. And there's a lot of things on that list, but I put in bold, and that whole list is in your, in your book on page 29. But I put in bold, this death issue is a major hangup for me. Like, maybe you can live with the other stuff and it's like, oh, well, maybe science will get this thing right at some point or, or, or maybe we're reading uh, the scripture in a way that God didn't intend us to. But this death issue is a big issue for me. God created everything. And I, we all agree with that. But then to say, okay, well, God created everything. And he said, it is good. It's good. This is all good. Death is not good. And death is the result of sin and disobedience to God. And so how can we think that there were billions of years of death before man even had an opportunity to sin and break down the system that God created. That is a hang-up for me. And so I just can't really abide by the idea that the earth is that, long, is that old or that the universe is that old because it really, the death thing just kind of throws it all out of whack. Death should not exist before sin, and sin can't exist before man, so man kind of has to be there exactly the way the Bible says, just within a couple of days of everything else. You know, and that just makes sense. Um, you know, there's a lot of other little troubling things on this list, though. I was kind of looking this over a couple of days ago, you know, because before I talk, I like to kind of look over what I'm going to talk about. It kind of makes sense. Um, but you've got some things on there, like evolution has insects existing before flowering plants, and land animals before trees, and sea creatures before land plants. It seems to me God's method of building things works a lot better because the creatures that are going to need certain things, the things are there before the creatures are. Like, wouldn't it be handy if there were trees first and then critters? Wouldn't it be handy? I mean, a lot of bugs seem to rely pretty heavily on flowering plants. So it seems creative uh, to think that they could have existed before flowering plants. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of weird how that, I'm sure that there's some explanation for that, but I like the way God did it. I made the plants and then I made the animals to feast on the plants. It just makes more sense to me. Um, but the man before death thing is a big issue. So do you have to choose? I think, I kind of think you do. If, if this is a major hangup for you, don't let it be the, the stepping stone that you trip over on, on the path to faith. Um, if you need that old earth, Pray about it for a while. Read about it for a while. Listen tight tonight because I think I can probably give you some, some things to think about. Um, 
A lot of times when I quote scripture, I just put the scripture reference at the bottom. This time I put Jesus at the bottom. Jesus said this. It's just kind of hard to dispute it. Have you not read he which made them at the beginning? Made them male and female. He which made them at the beginning. Right there at the start, within the first week of life, God made them. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. And not only did does Jesus have the authority to say that? He was there. John says that, and the book of Hebrews says that too. All things were made by him and for him. So he would know. If I'm going to look for a good, credible source, we talked about that last time, I looked to the people who were there. Jesus was there. And so uh, he knows. So I have confidence that that's true. Okay, so what we want to look at today is how did the universe begin? Mostly we're going to be picking on that Big Bang Theory because I really have a problem with that. Although the show has a catchy theme song. I don't watch the show, but it has a catchy theme song. Okay, so page 31 is where we're at in the book. This is supposed to be a simple explanation. Pardon me if it's not. I didn't write it. Uh, I, I, I read a lot of sites and a lot of books and stuff before I came to the one I wanted to use. I did try to pick the simplest one I could find. I think this is from space.com or something like that. So... The universe as we know it, this is the scientific naturalist explanation for how everything that you see out there got here. It says the universe as we know it started with a small singularity, the size of a peach or a grapefruit or a period or something, I don't know. Then inflated over the next 13.8 billion years, very precise number because precise numbers inspire confidence. We're not guessing. We know. It was 13.8. Not 14. Not 13. 13.8. And I'm sure they have some math calculation for how they got there. To the cosmos. Okay, so the next 13 billion years that we uh, expanded into the cosmos we know today. That's what I was missing. The first second after the universe began, the surrounding temperature was about 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit, according to NASA. That's hot. Okay, so we have all of the matter in the universe in a tiny space and then it all blew up and it was crazy hot. That's really hot. Like 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit, so much higher than my oven will go, which is good because I'd burn the house down. Um, so remembering the first law of thermodynamics states that matter and energy can never be created or destroyed. So all the energy to fuel the Big Bang had to come from somewhere. And that's interesting because you're talking about all the matter in the universe moving and the surrounding temperature being 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot of matter and a lot of energy and we need an explanation, a really good explanation for where did it come from. Uh, that's simple. I mean, to me, this, it, like, I, I got to imagine if I were to sit down at a table with a, like a physics guy, a physicist who's really married to this idea of an old earth and, and is, is agnostic or atheist and doesn't believe in God, to say, I just, just one thing, where'd all that matter and energy come from? And I think what you'll probably find is they will talk in a big circle and say a lot of things and not answer the question. Because I've read a lot on this topic and they do that. They talk a lot, but it you kind of get back to where you started and you never really, you never really answered my question. Where did the matter and energy come from? I just want to know where it came from. And really the answer is we don't know, which is cool. We don't know either. We don't know how God got here. Like I cannot explain that. I'm glad I can't because he's God and it'd be so less impressive if I got it. 
So like, I know, in the beginning there was God, and I can't explain that. And for you, in the beginning there was a peach-sized ball of really dense hot stuff. And we don't know how that got there. And I have a problem with that, because it doesn't seem logical to me. We're continuing our simple explanation. This is science, people. The cosmos contained a vast array. Okay, let me back up. How did things get here? Here's how they got here. They were in a little spot. They all blew up. Okay, cool. Whatever. I don't buy that, but that's fine. How did all the stuff get here? So something blew up, a peach-sized blob of stuff blew up, but where did the stuff, like where did trees come from? Where did chicken salad sandwiches come from? Where did you know, stars and Pluto and whatever. Where did that stuff come from? Okay, so the cosmos contained a vast array of fundamental particles. If that sounds vague, it's because it is. You're not supposed to ask. Such as neutrons, electrons, and protons. Did you know neutrons, electrons, and protons are made of smaller things? We know that now. They bang those things into each other. Uh, they, it's called a, a super collider. They have what's essentially uh, a NASCAR track underground, a really big NASCAR track under underground, and they send an electron going one way and another one going the other way. And if they just drive in that lane, opposite directions enough, one of them will bonk into the other eventually. And then they look at what comes out when they do that. And they find quarks. And there's a thing, gluons, I think is what they're called. Quarks and gluons. I think quarks are smaller than, than electrons and gluons are what make up quarks or something like that. So, uh, they're not telling us where that stuff came from. Apparently, we went straight to electrons and protons. Again, it, this is stuff that if you just hear it and somebody says, well, you know, there were some fundamental particles, electrons, protons, and neutrons, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I learned that stuff in chemistry class. I get what you're talking about. So, th they weren't like molecules yet. They weren't like argon or hydrogen. It was just like parts. But those parts have smaller parts. So was it electrons and protons or was it quarks and gluons? And I know that sounds like stupid nitpicky questions, but I think those questions, we just gloss over them because they're not really telling us anything. They're just throwing words out. And we're supposed to say, okay, well, I kind of know what those things are, so I guess that kind of makes sense. These decayed or combined as the universe got cooler. Over time, the free electrons met up with nuclei and created neutral atoms, whatever that means, and this allowed light to shine through about 380,000 years after the Big Bang. I personally do not understand how light is a product of this thing. There's probably a really good explanation for it, good explanation, like there's a scientific explanation. I don't know what it is, um, but apparently that's it. It happened. This early light, sometimes called the afterglow of the Big Bang, I like that term, that's kind of fun, is more properly known as the cosmic microwave background. To put this simply so that you can understand what this means. All the stuff in the universe went, and it went out everywhere. And light eventually went out of that thing. I'm paraphrasing here, I'm guessing it's kind of like that. And that light, over time, it's like slowed down to the point that it is now a microwave, which is a really low frequency kind of wave. And so we would expect that the universe would be like full of empty, cold, zero degree Kelvin space, like nothing out there, complete nothingness. But that's not what we see. Everywhere we look, in every direction, with every probe that goes out into space, they see a tiny little more than nothing. 
Like space has a temperature, which is that microwave background. That's what that means. The microwave background, just think of it as like the temperature of space. Space has a tiny temperature, and why does it have a temperature? Because it should just be nothing. Well, that's the leftover of the Big Bang. Okay. That's, this is crazy, guys, but here's everything we have to hang the Big Bang on. Like, if you really get down to it, and believe me, I read again this weekend, because I was like, maybe I missed something. And I'm reading stuff. Jennifer wakes up in the morning, and I'm in bed on the computer, just like reading this stuff, because I just want to know, why, how did we get to this Big Bang idea? Really, it comes down to two things. The universe is getting bigger. We know that, because that and that used to be close together, and now they're far apart. Okay, I can buy that. The Bible also said God stretched out the heavens. We'll get to that in a little bit. Universe is getting bigger. That implies it used to be smaller. Okay, I can buy that. Two, cosmic microwave background. Space has a temperature. So because the universe is expanding and space has a temperature, thus the Big Bang must have happened. Honestly, that's it. That's what it all hangs on. That's what it all goes back to. It's a very thin argument. It really is a thin argument. So we're going to look at it a little bit differently. Theory says that, we're finishing this up, theory says in the first second after the universe was born, our cosmos ballooned faster than the speed of light. I didn't know anything could go faster than the speed of light. I thought Einstein had a rule that th things couldn't go faster than the speed of light, not that Einstein knows everything. Oh, wait, that, by the way, I, didn't, I did not write this. I took this right out of there. That, by the way, does not violate Albert Einstein's speed limit, since he said... Light is the maximum speed anything can travel. That didn't apply to the inflation of the universe itself. Well, that's convenient. You have to break a rule to get there. But you know, just one time. There's a lot of just one times in explaining how life and the universe got here. You know, there's a rule in biology class. You open up the textbook and like, first chapter, one of the basic rules, it's called biogenesis, living matter cannot come from non-living matter. You cannot get life from not life. So how'd the life get here? Well, there was this one time. Okay. Nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. Oh, but there was this one time. Are these rules? Are they laws? Or not? Because if it's a law... I, I think you can't break it. That's the point of a law. Law. I dropped it. It's the only thing I had that wasn't my clicker. I didn't want to break it. Drop it, it falls. Every dadgum time I pick that up and drop it, it falls because it's a law. This is supposed to be a law. Things don't travel faster, oh, except for that one time. Never one time will I pick that thing up and drop it and it just, it won't even take longer to get down there. It'll take the exact same amount of time every time because it's a law. This is supposed to be a law. Does this even make sense? As I was writing the adult version of this presentation, because I had a kid version of this and I'm writing the adult version, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, a, there's an equation for this. Kinetic energy equals one half mass times velocity squared. To put that really simply, if I want to push this thing, we're going to use this a lot tonight. If I want to push this across the ground, what matters, how much I had to push it. If that was a bowling ball, I would have had to work harder. If that was, you know, like solid lead, I couldn't have pushed it at all. 
because how much it weighs and how fast I want to push it tells me how much energy it's going to take. The faster I want it to go or the heavier it is, the more energy it's going to take. So I'm thinking, now wait a minute, all the matter in the universe, all of the matter in the universe blew out at faster than the speed of light. It seems like that would take a lot of energy. And I wondered to myself, just how much energy does that take? So let's simplify the problem. How much energy would it take to move one pound, just one pound? There's a couple of pounds in the universe. One pound at the speed of light. And I was like, let's look. So I, I was like, there's got to be a calculator online for this. And so I found a calculator online and I put it in and it said, oh yeah, I can't do that calculation. Anything that's even half life's light speed is like theoretical. You need a theoretical calculator. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll find that. And so I found the theoretical calculator and I plugged it in. One pound at the speed of light squared is infinity. It takes infinity energy. It takes an infinite amount of energy to move one pound at the speed of light. How many pounds are in the universe? Because it seems like a lot. Like America imports like 50 billion tons of bananas a year or something. And it's like, if there's 50 billion tons of bananas on earth, I bet there's a lot of billions of tons of stuff in the universe. How many infinities of energy? Do, do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, this is crazy. How much energy would it take to move all, all that stuff got from a place to wherever it is now because of an explosion of energy? That's a dead gum lot of energy. It's so much that it's not conceivably or reasonably possible on any logical scale. No person who is actually thinking this thing out would tell you that makes reasonable sense. And the physics teacher at the back of the room is nodding. So I think I'm cool on this. I think, I think he's cool with this. It just doesn't make sense. That is not a good explanation for how things got here, apparently. Where did all this stuff come from? Well, according to naturalism, it's a very hot, dense, single point. We come back to this because this is the part where you can write stuff down. So on page 32, you should have a place that says, the naturalist theory fails to tell us where the matter was generated. So generated goes in your blank. It gives us a location, but not an origin. Like, I'm sure scientists have picked a place where they can point and say, there, that's where the Big Bang came from, or something. I don't know if they do that or not. I don't care, because it's not true. Doesn't matter to me. But we have a look, like, yeah, well, there was once this spot. Okay, cool. But how did it happen? Oh, well, I don't really know. Yeah, you don't know, because it didn't happen that way. It couldn't have happened that way. Christians have a different explanation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was simple, wasn't it? It's a lot easier to swallow, really, when you think about it. Like, we're supposed to think that that's unreasonable. Like, some educated scientist, professor, person will laugh at us for saying that. I just think in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And <laughs> no, <laughs> you, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, buddy. Because, like, have you done the math? Do you know how much energy that takes? 
And I'm sure they have some roundabout way of excusing themselves out of that question. Not answering the question does not improve the scientificness of your position. It doesn't improve anything. Which is what I just put there. How do you like that? Naturalism actually just fails to answer the question at all. If anybody says to you, well, that can't be because God can't be. Your explanation can't be. We're on equal ground here. Your Christian explanation fails because it doesn't explain where God came from. Well, your explanation fails because you're not telling me where all the matter and energy in the universe came from. Where did it come from? Well, I don't know. Well, that's convenient that you don't know. I agree. You don't know. You're right. Very good. You get a cookie. Failing to the an answer the question does not improve the position. Okay. So, here's my... Mr. Knapp version of what this is. I say Mr. Knapp because this is one of my words I like to use in class. If you didn't get it yet, this is the naturalist perspective paraphrased. Where did all the matter come from? We don't know. Where did all the energy come from? Oh, well, well here, here's what happened. All those particles that went out from the Big Bang, all those protons and neutrons that started combining together, they smerged into, that's my own word, that's why it has an asterisk by it, smerged into hydrogen and helium. And then hydrogen and helium smerged into stars. And stars are where energy comes from. Everything on Earth is powered by the sun. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You drive a solar-powered car because oil comes from plants and plants got their energy from the sun, ergo, solar-powered. I'm solar-powered too because I ate beef and beef ate grass, and grass is powered by the sun. I'm solar-powered, you're solar-powered, your car is solar-powered, everything's solar-powered. All the energy in the universe comes from stars, and stars come from the smerging of elements. Here's something that's a problem, though. It's called entropy. And Jennifer and I, every once in a while, I'll bounce this stuff off of her before, you know, I talk about it. And she's like, okay, but you're going to have to explain this because that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm like, okay. And so the other day, it was me and her and Garen. Um, he was riding in the car. He's an engineer. He works at Jasper. And I was like, you know, and I'm talking about the, the kinetic energy equation. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, I was like, and it really, it comes down to an entropy problem. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'll make it. And Jennifer's like, you guys are such nerds. Um, in, here, here's, what, here's the entropy problem. Have you seen Midwest Truck Stop lately? It's got trees growing out of the gutters, right? Or like the buildings downtown, like that one poor building on the corner that's got the mesh up on it now, and there's like a jack and a pillar, like that thing's going to fall on somebody one of these days, like probably take a different route home, right? So one of these days that thing's going to fall down because all things tend toward disorder. If I build a thing within a period of time, not only will the thing not be there anymore, it'll just be a ruin, a crumble. When we look for an ancient city, you don't look for a tower sticking up out of the desert somewhere. You look for a wall like that tall. Like, if you're lucky, there might be part of a foundation left. Because that's how the universe works. The sun is slowly emanating all of its energy out, and one day it'll go... <laughs> and it'll be gone. That's technical. That's exactly how it happens. And then, and then it's gone. Okay, but you get my point. Like, everything, something that's high energy now will be low energy later. 
all of the sun's energy will radiate out and it'll be way out past our solar system and by then it'll be so watered down that you won't even notice it anymore. And that's what the whole universe will eventually tend toward except that Jesus is going to come back way before that ever happens and make a new heaven and a new earth where things are different. But whatever. It's just all going to piddle out to nothing because that's what happens. That's entropy. This is entropy illustrated. That was a theater. Oh, cool. It's an animated GIF. I didn't know that. You can just watch the left image. If I'd known that, I would have just put one picture up. So it starts off as this beautiful theater. And within a period of about 50 years, it's got the ceiling falling in. And there's, you'll notice there's, it looks like there's light here. I'm going to guess because there's a hole in the roof that birds and rats and stuff are probably coming in. And in another 50 years, it probably won't even be there anymore. That's entropy. We witness this all the time. You know what we've never witnessed? Things just like, you remember that scene in Frozen? Bear with me. Where Kristoff and, and Girly Pants, I don't remember her name, Anna, Anna, brown hair girl, they're, he's going to fix her, you know, and she's all been struck by her sister or whatever and they come in and she's like he's like I want you to meet my family and she's like okay and there's nobody there but then the rocks start rolling together and like and they become a little troll dude and it's like oh cool I didn't see that coming because you know what that's never ever happened in the real world at no time have rocks ever rolled into each other and became a troll never happened not just because trolls don't exist but because the whole concept is completely nuts and that's how stars form Stuff rolls together and then just becomes something greater than its parts. Have you, have you ever observed that? Nothing becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Things become less because their parts fall apart, but they don't come greater. But that's what we're supposed to believe. Stars formed from parts and then emanated their energy out and then that energy made it possible for all this stuff to happen. In the No, it didn't. That kind of thing has never once ever happened. We've never, ever seen that. Ever. We have seen order becoming disorder. We have never seen disorder becoming orderly. One exception. God. God creates order from chaos. And he put that in you. You create order from chaos because you'll go home and they'll be like I don't know what happens you leave for work and then you come back home and socks have found their way onto the floor I don't know how they get there like crumbs get on your countertop I don't know where they come from I didn't even have breakfast in here this morning crumbs just like right because disorder just happens and you have to make order out of chaos you can do that because God made you to do that you are the only thing on earth that brings order from chaos Leave a dog home for a day, it'll rip your couch apart. But it never makes a couch. That would be awesome. I would get a dog. Be like, dude, get on it, man. I'm going to sell that thing. Never happens. Not observed, not rational, not science. It is not scientific to say that. Again, they're just not answering the question. How did all the stuff get here? I don't know. How did all the energy get here? I don't know. How come all the stuff came together when I've never... Actually observe that happen. I don't know. 
just, just bear with me here. It happened. No, it didn't happen. God does not make rational scientific sense. I get it. No, he doesn't. He is not scientific at all. Although he created science. Naturalism does not make rational scientific sense either. So we have work to do in convincing people of that. Okay. Where did all the matter come from? Big Bang doesn't answer the question. This, this is the, the great questions naturalism needs to answer and hasn't, and this is all stuff we've talked about, so I'm just making sure that you understand. Where did all the matter come from? Big Bang does not satisfy that. Where did all the energy come from? How can we explain that, how the matter got where it is today? Well, we can't, because they can't answer that. Well, it comes from suns. Well, where did suns come from? Well, we have to violate scientific law for that to happen. So what forces actually set the Big Bang into motion then? If you're having a rational conversation with an atheist and you say, okay, well, where did the matter come from? Okay, okay, you can't answer that question. That's fine, that's fine. I can't really either. Where did all the um, energy come from? Oh, well, you can't answer that question. Okay. Hmm. Doesn't seem like we have a lot to talk about. What, what caused the Big Bang to happen? Hmm. I don't know that either. That's a problem. You kind of need to know that. So bear with me. Three dense slides to follow. I love this guy, whoever he is. Um, I've got his stats on the last page, so you can kind of know who, who he is, but I'd like to meet the guy. His writing is really fun. I'm going to show you three slides. We're going to read through them. I know it's like dense and heavy, but this dude is going to tell us basically the scientific perspective on how everything got here, and then he will at the end admit, but we don't really know, which is nice. I'm glad somebody's willing to admit it. And he does it in really colorful language. And I put the site link on the slide so that you could go there and read the whole thing. I'm paraphrasing it, but I promise I'm not changing the words because I don't need to because it's funny. In the beginning, there was a question mark. All else followed the end. The Big Bang Theory is not a theory of the creation of the universe. Full stop, done, call it, burn that sentence into your brain. The Big Bang Theory is a scientific model, just like any other scientific model. We believe the theory is on the right track because it's supported by extensive evidence. I'm going to disagree with the extensive evidence part, but here it is. One, every day the universe is getting bigger. Long ago it was smaller, I guess. I didn't write that. He did. I love this guy. Leftover light from the past when the universe cooled creates a cosmic microwave background. You guys know that. We talked about that just a minute ago. And the necessary levels of density, and what he's talking about is, if the universe used to be smaller, that logically means all the stuff in the universe was a lot closer together. And that means it was all moving really fast, and that means it must have been crazy hot. And he says, at these levels of density, gravity gets weird and stuff is just kind of hard to know. We just don't really know. The current scientific perspective is actually that, and this is crazy. Oh, this is a good one. It's possible. Did you guys watch uh, Avengers Endgame? Did you guys see that? There's some time travel involved there. I'm not going to try to spoil the movie for you if you haven't seen it, but like on the quantum level, when you get really tiny in there, like things just don't make sense. And it's maybe you can move in time or something. That's wacky, crazy stuff. I don't believe any of that, but in any case... They're saying, used to, the universe was so small and so densely packed. Honestly, we don't even know. It could be that time maybe didn't even exist at that point. Okay. You know, the Bible says, before time began, God, dot, dot, dot. 
Can you imagine what a crazy thought it would have been for a Hebrew, just a simple Hebrew person, thousands of years ago, to even have the concept that something could have existed before time existed? Like, how could they even have had that thought in their head? But they wrote about it in the Bible. Because God knows that there was a time before time. And we're headed back to it one day. We're going to die, and when we join God, time's not going to matter anymore. Because time is just here. It's here, but just for now, just for a while. And even ancient Hebrews understood that because God revealed it to them. Science is just now getting there. He goes on to say, the Big Bang can be summarized thusly. At one time, the entire universe, everything we know and love, was crushed into a trillion Kelvin ball. Trillion Kelvin is a lot more than 10 billion degrees Fahrenheit, by the way. About the size of a peach or an apple or a small grapefruit. Really, the fruit doesn't matter here, okay? The statement sounds absolutely ridiculous, but as crazy as this concept sounds, we can approach uh, can actually understand this epoch with our knowledge of high-energy physics. At early time, the understanding of the universe gets eh, fuzzy. The forces and energies and densities is just too high, and all the knowledge we've cobbled together just isn't up to it. Who knows what's going on? There are ideas about what ignited or seeded the Big Bang, but at this stage, they're just bedtime stories. How did all the matter get here? I don't really know. How did all the energy get here? I don't really know. How did it get from there to there? Yeah, you're right. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? No, it doesn't. So how did the Big Bang get started? Yeah, I don't, I don't guess I know that either. What do you know? Do you know anything? Really? Because you're supposed to be smarter than me because I believe in God and you are smarter than that. You're too smart to believe in God. But it sure seems like you don't have any answers to any of the questions I'm asking. So what's up with that? The guy that said that, by the way, is not just some dude. Uh, he's the visiting scholar at Ohio State University Center for Cosmology and Astroparticle Physics. He hosts a couple of um, podcasts and a YouTube channel and all this stuff. So he's, he's kind of a big deal, apparently, in the astrological community. Let's go to our unanswered questions, because we have to admit, we have some unanswered questions too. Science can't answer their questions. We can't answer our questions either. If God is the source of everything, where does God come from? And we've kind of covered this in here before, but you've never written it down. So you can write this down. God was. God is. God will be. God exists outside of time. God wrote the words. He inspired a guy to write the words. These words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He gave that to John, the, or to John, the Apostle John. And elsewhere in the Bible, he says, I, am, I just am, Moses. What's my name? I am. What does that even mean? It means I am. I didn't get created. I didn't get caused. I just am. That's a big thing. Like that statement, I am, just like, Sends chills down my spine when I think about it. What God was really telling us. He was answering this question. Where did all the matter and the energy in the universe come from? Shh, I am. Just let it be that. Just understand. Just, you're not going to get it. It's okay. I am. Just let me do it. Just let me handle it. It makes sense. The causer is not bound by the events that follow his cause. I caused cause and effect. Cause and effect has no bearing on me. I made it. You don't tell me what to do. 
I like that. Here's another problem. This is a big one. I don't know if you've even bothered to think about this, but it kind of blows your mind when you do think about it. Okay, so if we use the Bible timeline to say, how old really is the earth then if it's not a bajillion, gajillion years old? How old is it? It's, um, according to the Bible, about 6,000 years old. Wow, that's so much shorter. And it almost seems unreasonable to think it could be that short. Keep in mind, we are relying upon genealogies in the Bible to come up with that number. And they're not trying hard to be super precise. So we can be a little bit flexible about the number, but it's a heck of a lot less than a bajillion, gajillion years, right? Um, probably it's reasonable to say less than 10,000 for sure, no matter how flexible you want to get about it. How do we see stars if some of the stars are more than 6,000 light years away? So what that means is light year, that's how far light travels in a year. So if a star is one light year away, it takes light a year to get from there to here. So if there's a star that's 100 million light years away, logic tells me it would take 100 million years for that light to get here. Hmm, that is a problem, isn't it, for us? Like, how, did that, how does that happen? The Bible actually does give us an explanation for that. It's not a really thorough scientific explanation, but he gave it to a dude like, what, 4,000 years ago? So, you know, you got to put it on terms these folks can understand. And what God told us was, this is Isaiah, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Isaiah knew the world was round. This is just a fun fact. Isaiah knew the world was round. Do you know when Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah? Anybody? That's a really specific question. Very good. Woo! Points to the pastor. He knew. 700 BC. Pythagoras is supposedly the first guy to propose that the world was round. In 500 BC. And you know that time works backwards and you get on the other side of zero. So that means Isaiah wrote this 200 years before Pythagoras thought of it. What? It's almost like he had inside knowledge about this thing. You know, from the guy that made it. He who sits above the circle of the earth, its inhabitants to him are just like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He stretched out the heavens. What is the center point of God's creation? Not me, personally. Human beings. I don't think that much of myself, I promise. Human beings! Earth, man! This is the center of it all! So my thinking is, God created the heavens and the earth and the world without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the waters and all that good stuff and he made the things and he set the stars and then he stretched them out and they left a light trail behind them and we can see them. What good would they be if we couldn't see them? The Bible says the stars were given to us so we could know our way around and so we could tell the seasons and know the changing of stuff, whatever. It wouldn't be any good if we couldn't see them. So God said, I'm going to put them really far away, but here you go. Now you can see them. There you go, kid. How handy. We're the center of God's creation, so it expands from us. Da, 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 da. Okay, this is fun. I'm going to get into some cool stuff here. I'm clicking forward because I don't want to get there yet. All right, so I've been excited about this. I got 15 minutes left, which is perfect because this is really what I wanted. Um, this is brand new even to me. You notice up in the corner, we always have a page number and it says OB. What does that mean? 
It means off book. We have gone off book, people. I just got some new stuff like this weekend, and I've been so excited about it because I haven't told anybody because I want everybody to find out right now. This is so good. Where does this concept of the Big Bang come from? We have to get this first before we can get into the fun stuff. So I have to say, how reliable is the person I am talking to? And the best way to know how reliable is this person is, do they seem to actually know anything about anything? If they know something then maybe they're more trustworthy. You know, if you ask somebody directions on how to get somewhere and they tell you and it actually gets you where you need to go, well, cool, I might ask that person again. So I need to look into my source and say, do they appear to know? If I have one person who says, this thing happened, I watched it happen. Okay, cool. Let me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will make more sense. When a crime is committed, and somebody comes and says, I have information about the crime. There's always things that the police do not publish because they're holding that information back. And then if somebody comes and says, she was wearing a red sweater, we didn't publish that. How did you know that? And if you knew that piece of information that nobody should have known, that gives me reasonable, like, reason <laughs> to think you might be telling me the truth about the other stuff, right? That makes sense. If you can give me information that you couldn't have known unless you were there, then that tells me maybe you are reliable. Is the scientific perspective reliable? No, of course it isn't because they weren't there to see it happen. We're guessing based on the evidence we have and we've already looked, the evidence is mighty slim. The universe is getting bigger and there's a temperature out there Ergo, Big Bang. Except Big Bang violates every dadgum rule in the book, so it can't be right. So that doesn't work. If the Bible is right about other things that the people who wrote it could never have known themselves, then that would give us some reliable, it would give the Bible some reliability, wouldn't it? Like if somebody wrote something, like Isaiah writing that the world was round way before anybody could have possibly known that the world was round, that's pretty cool. Maybe he had a lucky guess. Maybe he was being illustrative and he didn't really mean that literally. Okay, maybe, maybe so. Check this out. This is so stinking cool. It blows my mind. Oh, I went back to Isaiah. Sorry. This is cool too. Also, when Isaiah is talking about stretching out the heavens, he stretched out the heavens like a tent for them to dwell in. Do you know why people can't live on Mars? Doesn't have an atmosphere. There's no tent to live in. He just like explained the atmosphere, basically, in simple 700 BC Hebrew terms. That's cool. Like that's neat. But that's not nearly as neat as what I'm getting ready to talk about. This is from Job Job, if you did not know, is the oldest book in the Bible. It way predates anything that Moses wrote. We don't even know how old Job is. It's so stinking old. So way back there. This is in Job. God and Job are having a come to Jesus meeting, conversation. Job's been whining, and for good reason. But God's like, God's had it. He's like, Job, dude, I've been nice, but were you there when I created the world? Were you? Did I need your advice when I laid the foundations of the... I didn't think so. Job, 
Can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season? Canst thou guide Octurus with his sons? And if you're like me, you've maybe read that in the Bible before. It went, because it doesn't make any sense. I know Orion is a constellation. Looks like an hourglass with like a little belt. It does not look like a hunter with a club and a lion or something like it's supposed to be. I don't get any of that stuff, but whatever. Here's what God is telling us through Job. He was not teaching Job about astrology, but he was leaving clues for us to know, I know what I'm talking about. This is so cool. Do you have the power to keep Pleiades together? That's what God's asking Job. Hey, Job, do you have the power to keep the constellation Pleiades together? Can you do that? Because I can. I've got this, Job. Pleiades is also known as the seven sisters. From, uh, from our perspective here on earth, to look up at Pleiades, it looks like some stars. But what it really is, like we know now because like the Hubble Space Telescope and we can look really deeply, it's actually a collection of about 250 stars. And they're so close together and so far away that to us it appears like just one star here and one star here and one star here. But it's actually like 100 stars here and 50 stars here and 80 stars here. And their gravity binds them together so completely, so tightly that astrophysicists say in from Earth, you will never know that these aren't just one star because they're tr they travel together at the exact same speed, sharing a gravitational force. Nothing will ever break them apart. From our perspective, it's always going to look like one star. That's cool. God said, Job, can you bind together Pleiades? Because I can. Job couldn't have known what that even meant to write it down. We're just now knowing that that's a thing. I think it was like the 1970s before we even found this out. Job, can you untie Orion's belt? Because I can. Astrophysicists say now, Orion's belt is made of three stars. It appears like three stars. They're actually, again, star clusters. But there's three pinpoints of light in Orion's belt. In time, two of those will actually move together enough that it will appear to us to be one star. And the other one on the left-hand side, got to do this teacher way, right is left, that little star cluster will eventually drift out of the constellation and it'll be gone. In time, Orion's belt will be untied. The rest of the constellation will not move. From our perspective on Earth, Orion the hourglass will always be there, but the belt will go away. God put that in the Bible for us to read and know now when we need it. A hundred years ago, people just trusted the Bible because it's the Bible, man, but people don't trust it anymore. We need more proof. And God said, don't worry, I got you covered. I got stuff that we're just, you're just now figuring out. I put it in there a long time ago. Can you guide Arcturus with his sons? Job didn't know what that meant. Arcturus, to us, appears to be one star, but it's not. It's one, like, gargantuan, mega, ultra, like, thousands of times larger than our sun star, and it's got 50 other, 52 other little baby stars that are with it, and physicists 
say, I just had to quote it because I couldn't do better than this guy did. He says, this high velocity that Arcturus travels at places him in a very small class of stars that are apparently just a law unto themselves. He's an outsider, a visitor, a stranger within the gates. To speak plainly, Arcturus is a runaway. Newton gives the velocity of a star that's under control 25 miles a second. Arcturus is traveling 257 miles a second. He is booking through the cosmos. Therefore, the combined attraction of every other known star we have will never change his path. The gravity of everything else in the universe is not strong enough to alter the path of this star. Can you steer Arcturus, Job? No, you can't. The universe can't steer him, but I can. I tell him where to go. And his sons that you can't even see. Why would anybody write Arcturus and his sons? We didn't even know that Arcturus had sons. Literally, sons like stars. S-U-N's, if you didn't get that. Isn't that amazing? God gave us so many seeds to follow to have confidence. I don't have confidence in the scientific explanation because they have to break their own rules to tell me that story. But when I go to an account that is probably 5,000 years old and it tells me things that only God could know, that gives me great confidence that only God could write it. And whatever he says, I'm going to go with because I trust him. I trust him completely with everything. Are we going to trust the educated guesses of scientists with their modern instruments? Which, by the way, in case you didn't know, we don't actually see any of these stars. We get radio waves and then we interpret it. When you see like a virus cell and it's like attacking another virus and you're like, oh, that's cool. They don't actually see that. They bounce electrons off something really tiny and they get the radar image and then some artist comes in and draws what they think it looks like. It's not really what it looks like. It's what we think it looks like. These stars, all this stuff we tell you about deep space and all this stuff out there, we don't see any of that. You get your telescope out. You won't see any of that. They're interpreting data with instruments that they have. And later, they'll get better instruments and they'll change their mind about every bit of it. The one thing that doesn't change is the word of God. We should trust the word of God given to ancient Hebrew people who could not even begin to understand the deep truth of the words that they were inspired to write. Sometimes when I'm up talking in front of people, things come out that I didn't come up with. Not that I'm riffing on scripture, but every once in a while something just pops out. I'm like, ooh, that was good because <laughs> it's not mine. I've written things down preparing to teach that were not my words because God's capable of doing that. And he was capable of doing that when he wrote this Bible too. And he did lots and lots and lots of times. Next time, we're going to talk about how life began and probably more. I can probably knock down more than one question that night, but tonight there was just too much good stuff in this one question. That said, it is five till. I didn't even go over my time or nothing. I'm so proud of myself. I only got one question done, but you guys will be patient, right? I mean, the crowd's not dwindling too badly, so I guess I'm not boring you to death yet. Um, I'll move a little faster next time, I promise.